what's the show about? I don't really have any, uh, I know what the show, like in general, freelancer show is about, but what are we talking about? Copywriting D&D. Excellent. <laughs> you chose the right person to talk D&D today. <laughs> Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. This episode is sponsored by Planscope. Planscope is a project management and collaboration app built for freelancers and the way they work with clients. It makes it easy to price out new estimates and once you're underway, help answer the question, will this get done on time and under budget? I've been using Planscope to do my estimates and manage my projects and I really, really like it. It makes it really easy to keep things in order and understand when things will get done. You can go check it out at planscope.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 102 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. Ruben Lerner. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have a special guest this week, and that is Joanna Weeb. Hello. Joanna, do you want to introduce yourself for us really quickly? Sure. Yep. Yeah, I'm Joanna. I'm the founder of Copy Hackers, where startups learn to convert like mofos. And um, yeah, we just we're we're all about copywriting on the web and doing things to increase your conversion rate. That's what I do. Awesome. So yeah. uh, I have to say, I was going to ask you why am I so terrible at copywriting, but I think <laughs> you're going to tell me that I have to read the books, not just buy the books. <laughs> Yeah, the classic challenge, right? <laughs> I bought the books. Now, where's the learning? No, I bought uh, your I, books. I, the, uh, yeah, no, but you have to read them too, right? Yeah. I put the Kindle under my pillow. I didn't do it. <laughs> didn't just seep in osmosis. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about it today, and then you won't have to read quite as much, maybe. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty well hopeless, so <laughs> I might have to read it anyway. That's a challenge. I like a challenge. So let's go ahead and get started. I think one thing that I run into a lot on my websites is like, I'll put together a course. And so I'll tell people, this is why you should take the course. And mm. it's a course. <laughs> and, well. and then, and then nobody's excited about it. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> I had a funny feeling you were uh, not going to be surprised by that. Yeah, no, I think you're not surprised that I'm, yeah, not surprised by that. Yeah, um, well, I mean, do we want to dive right in? Cause that's also a little broad, but we can, we can talk. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's go for it. Yeah. So like for real, are you kidding? Or do you actually just like put up a course and, and wait for them to come? That if you build it, they will come and they will understand immediately. Well, I tweet it and I, <laughs> but yeah, that's basically what I do. What do you do for email marketing? Yeah, I need to work on that. <laughs> oh, been a good show. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's your to-do list. It's kind of major. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to say, but obviously, you know, copywriting is a big part of marketing. It's a question of whether you're doing any marketing. Are you marketing your courses? How are you marketing them? So I, I share it with the users groups that I'm a part of. I have fairly well-known podcasts in the areas that I uh, do the courses in. And so mm -hmm. I announce them on there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a mailing list. I know I need one. I just haven't done it yet. I don't know what to tell you. Do it. You have the tools, right? It's the classic thing, right? You yeah. have the knowledge. You have the books at your disposal that you could be reading. Um, but it says a lot about, yeah, whether it's a priority. So are, you must be pretty happy with your courses, like with how they sell, if you don't feel the need to do anything more than that, right? Yeah, not so much. So... <laughs> How do you tell people that they want to get on your mailing list? I mean, do you just put a form up there and you know, right? Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah. I mean, the presence of stuff, as, as of course you've already seen, just putting it out there as, you know, the starting point, right? Saying that you have a mailing list. Um, of course, the copywriter would come in and, you know, people are going to tell you where to put, you know, your invitations to mailing list. Do you use some giant, you know, bounce exchange sort of capture to get people to kind of be guilted into signing up? Or do you, you know, put it like Derek Halpern, you know, put it, you know, in your hero section and to pop up when people get to your site and in your sidecar, blah, blah, blah. There's all these places to put it. That's, you know, something you can find out in any blog post. Just Google it. But, but the question really that I can help with is, more around how to position your list so that people actually want to be on it and to word it in such a way where it doesn't sound like subscribe now, which nobody wants to do, but something that's more about what your prospect actually wants and how you're going to deliver on it. Um, and of course, doing so in such a way that people grasp it quickly so you don't have to spend a lot of time telling people, you know, what's so great about hearing from you on a weekly basis or a semi-weekly basis or whenever you have, you know, good shit to share. But that's really the question is, what is your value then? What do you, what would you provide to your subscribers? So I'm, as I said, I have a small list. I'm trying to build it up. Uh, I have a huge collection, more than 200 articles that I've written for Linux in the past. I have probably 10 to 20 people coming in and reading those, maybe even more. Um, and so I put on those articles, hey, if you like what I wrote, maybe you should subscribe to my mailing list. a lot of success. Yeah. It can be hard, right? In a blog post, we, you have to have a, an awful lot of traffic or really motivated audience, right? I know Lance at Copy Hackers, he does a bunch of consulting and one of the groups he does it with provides nutrition coaching to people who are trying to lose weight. That is a space where if you get a thousand people to your blog post, 300 of them sign up for the newsletter. It doesn't take a lot for them to sign up, but then you see other people, usually in information spaces and business, where they're so overwhelmed already by the amount of information that's out there. And every blog post they're going to is asking them to opt in. So you kind of have to rise above and give them bigger reasons to sign up and more value that's, you know, not just implied, but that's really directly communicated in that pitch to get them to sign up. So, which is problematic because a lot of these opt-in boxes don't really give you the the space to talk through what people are going to get from you. But that is kind of a big part of it, right? Like if you're, you know, you're getting a hundred or a thousand people to a blog post and you're only getting like four or five signups from it, then clearly that means, you know, it could be a couple of things. People who are coming there reading it are the type of people who want to hear from you on a regular basis. They'll come back. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll read your blog. They'll bookmark it or something. Or it could mean that your offer isn't very compelling. Simply having a newsletter isn't compelling, right? But telling people that they're going to maybe get something. Of course, there's that opt-in bait that you could be using, like a free course or whatever it is. Something better than that. Of course, a free course is, again, kind of table stakes, right? Everybody expects it. What's better about yours? It's really a, a competition, not just to get the person to sign up to your list, but to sign up to your list instead of choosing the hundreds of others who are trying to get them to sign up too. So well, not just that, but also, you know, signing up and reading it, you know, because I've signed up to a bunch of lists and I never actually read any of the newsletters and eventually I just unsubscribe, not, you know, not caring about it at all. But then there's a few where I read everyone as it comes out and, you know, if they link to something, I click that link and I read that right away, not even putting an answer paper. And which are the ones that you do read? Like, what do you notice anything in common among the ones that you do? Yeah, I mean, like, the ones I really liked, they were long form, a lot of content. I mean, stuff where... Basically, like half half a dozen of those emails could be in like a paid ebook. Like they were that good, that useful, and they're very, very focused. Like it felt like the author was talking to me. It wasn't mm-hmm. just a, you know, like you talked about like the the weight loss industry. It wasn't just like, hey, you need to lose some weight, eat more vegetables. It was like, hey, you're a male, you are semi active. Here's how to lose weight. So it was very specific. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's and the content. I think is really interesting that you brought that up. That they've got. In the newsletter themselves, they've got a decent amount of content, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, we see, you know, Ramit Sethi, of course, right. does them and, and people tend to really like his, I think, or you just completely don't like them and you leave mean comments and then he'll like comment about your mean comments. <laughs> so hopefully you're unsubscribed by the time that that comes out. But there's those long ones or Naomi from Itty Biz. She also does, does long 
newsletters and I find those easy to read, but those are somewhat infrequent too, right? Like these are people who only write to you really when they have something that they're building up to sell. And that's kind of the beauty of what they're doing is they're, you know, then they're not inundating you, but then you don't get that weekly kind of um, the behavior that's developed with people who open your newsletter, let's say every Tuesday or whatever it might be, you miss out on that if you're only doing those sales pitches, but maybe, you know, and that's where it's about figuring out for your particular list. If you're trying to get people to buy from you, um, like a course, if you have a course, as Chuck said, right, something like that, then maybe going the Ramit Seti way or the Itty Biz way where you're writing a newsletter that's rich with content because you're kind of giving away 99% of your best content and then asking them to pay for the remaining 1% or more, right? But that 1% is like super high value or whatever. Or versus doing something like Kissmetrics does where they do a blog post, they'll send you like a paragraph and then you just click to read it. Or John Morrow, also a, a copywriter, great content marketer, will send you like three tiny sentences with a link. But how that works for different audiences really depends, again, on the audience, on what you're trying to on what your really your goal is as well for those newsletters. So figuring out what you want to do in those newsletters or what your point is in building a list is a huge part of the battle. Building a list is you know, it's not it's not the goal. The goal is not to build a list. Right. So then how do you let's say that I decide that I'm gonna put together a list. I'm gonna give people a lot of content on how to do some of the things that I'm doing you know, that I teach in my course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, how do I do that without it being boring? Cause in a lot of cases, it's, you know, okay, now go do this, go try, you know, try this, go download this library, go do this other thing. You know, how do you make it engaging or interesting? So it's something that they're going to want to read instead of, okay, here's another boring lesson from Chuck. Yeah, totally. And that's really about, you know, finding your voice. And I tend to think that, People are pretty scared of sounding like themselves for some reason. Like, but if you just kind of write the way you talk, which could be, you know, when you're training yourself to do that, it's as simple as like talking, like record yourself actually saying what you want to say about this thing. And then basically transcribe that as it is right without tweaking it and let that true voice of yours kind of shine through and then see if it works right see if people respond well to it get a bit more um friendly and and personal and real and tell stories people don't want the facts but they do logically think they want the facts of course we make decisions based on emotion then we justify those with logic so you have to give them all that emotion up front which really does oftentimes include stories from your own life stories from people who have taken your courses stories from other businesses and things like that and write in an honest voice or a real voice whatever your voice is if you're like a dungeons and dragons dude then like make references to dungeons and dragons throughout if you want to, right? And people will be able to connect with you and understand you. And if it's wrong for your audience, you'll see because you'll get a lot of unsubscribes and then you'll know, okay, well, do I care about those unsubscribes? Would I rather just like write these emails that feel like me and that other people are responding really well to? And then, you know, these are again, more decisions that you have to make, but really you have to find your voice um, or else people will just feel that they're opening some sort of lesson-y email, which feels a bit like college with the bad professor rather than college with like the cool professor. I like that. College with the cool professor is something I can definitely um, identify with. Yeah. I, nobody... I had plenty of the other ones. I know, right? We all had the lecture theater guy who like droned on and he just didn't want to go at all. Um, but then you had like the cool one in like your fourth year who had a small class size and you know, you got like really direct and, and they told stories and you learned about crazy shit that they'd done in their lives and they were way more engaging and you'd like want to stay in touch with them for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's, I would think, a much better goal than being the droning lecturer at the front of the room. So how do you tell stories on something that's highly technical? Because that, that's what a lot of my material is about. Like, so like what? So what's an example? Like what might be an example of something you would send out in an email, a newsletter where you're trying to teach something? I'm trying to think of how to explain it in such a way that somebody who's not familiar with Ruby or Rails or programming would kind of understand it. But, you know, you have a lot of assets that go into a, a web page. And mm-hmm. so um, sending out an email explaining to people how to manage these assets and why you put certain things in certain places and how they get into the web page once the web page is actually, you know, brought up in a web browser. 
Right. So for me, when I hear that, I guess, again, it depends on your audience, which was probably a bit more technical then, <laughs> right? Um, are they? Uh, yeah, usually. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine so. Okay. So the question is whether you put all that content in the email itself or you put it on a landing page and try to move people to that. So if you're walking people through steps, are they ready for that in their inbox or do they want to be drawn into something that they then click to read more about and bookmark that and share that around things, things like that? For me on instinct, when I hear that, it sounds quite technical and trying to get through a lot. Like you'd probably not want to cover off a lot of steps in the newsletter itself, mm -hmm. but rather introducing what you're about to share with a story, which we can talk about, but then maybe putting the more technical stuff on a landing page, like a blog post or a video. If you're doing how to's, of course, video can be a lot more helpful in a lot of cases than just writing it out, but both are good, right? Transcripts and things like that. Um, but it feels to me, if I were coaching you or like consulting for you with you, whatever, I would definitely try splitting it up. So you have maybe even just an AB test with your newsletter where, you know, one has all of the information in the email itself. And one has like an introduction that's kind of interesting that leads to a landing page that has more technical stuff, places to comment, places to ask questions, things like that. That's what I would do. But then the story is really, I would, I mean, what, how did you get into it? What have you encountered, you know, while trying to do this, this thing that you're about to do? What was the outcome you were trying to reach? Like, what would you tell somebody when you're sitting around coffee you know, having coffee with them, some other startup founder they're trying to teach this to or something like that. What would you talk about when you're not talking about the technical stuff? And not Dungeons and Dragons either. What would you be talking about? Right? I could jump in there a little bit because I, I do a lot of uh, in-person training. And I found over the years that using this sort of hook with a story that's not necessarily technical but helps to put into context is really useful. So, yeah, I could just talk to people about hashes and name value pairs and so forth. But it's way more interesting if I started with a story about my deadbeat uncle for whom I worked for two summers and the work that I had to do for him. And let's now do an exercise that uses this technology to do the sort of work that I did then. And people seem to really take to that much better. I, I think that's a great example. And people learn by stories, right? Like we don't, I mean, there's certain developer types in particular who really like to head to the facts, but it doesn't mean, I mean, I always say like there's a reason People love reading Harry Potter, right? It's people love escaping into stories and our brains work really well with storytelling as a way of passing down information or sharing information. So I think that's a great point. So could you use an obviously made up story? Yes, make it up all you want. It doesn't have to be real. It might sound more authentic if it actually is real because you'll have that quirky detail that was part of that versus trying to, you know, make it up, which might not always sound that authentic or be as easy as like when you were actually living that experience. Mm -hmm. But yeah, make it, I mean, whatever it takes to feel comfortable doing it. This is, I mean, email marketing is really good because you put it out there and then it's gone right? And then you can try something new the next time when you can learn from it with, you know, basic analytics or whatever. But it's not like, you know, putting something that's going to be evergreen out there. It, it's just like a one time hit, right? So try something, see if your opens are up, see if your unsubscribes are better or worse and what that might mean for you. Um, see if your click throughs are better than you've seen before. You can, of course, test this stuff too, instead of just doing like a before or after. But but just try it out. Email's really good for just trying to discover things about yourself, your business and your audience. Right. And one of my emails I've done that's been pretty good, like I've got a lot of replies to is actually a story of when I first got a Nintendo when I was playing a Nintendo game and how I had no idea what I was doing and how I learned. And then I directly related that to learning in business. And a lot of people like that. And it seems it's for me, the stories seem to make the lessons more memorable. I mean, yeah. they might not actually like the story might not be teaching you what you want to learn, but you're going to remember the story and then you're going to remember the lesson connected to the story. Totally. Exactly. Right. And then it's just, you know, once you can start telling some stories, then 
in words, it's a matter of just really uh, letting your voice shine through, right? Your, re- your real personality is really what voice is, right? How do you talk? Who are you? Does, you know, Chuck talk this way? Does Eric talk this way? Does Ruben talk this way? How do you guys communicate? And what, what do you sound like to your friends? How do you, how would your friends describe the way you are? And making sure that that comes through because then people can actually connect with you. And again, emotion is far more powerful than anything else you can worry about in, in marketing. Emotion is what you should be focusing on and, and sharing your, your personality, um, is a great way to get that emotion, right? To tap into that. It's, it's funny you say that, um, a few weeks ago, my 11 year old had a school assignment where she had to, uh, advertise something. And uh-huh. so she decided to advertise, uh, potato chips. And so she started saying, these potato chips are yummy. And I said, you know, what you really want to do is think about the experience people are going to have with the potato chips. What is it going to do for them? How are they going to feel? She said, where did you hear this? I said, there's this show called Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, and like it was, and, and it totally worked. She said she came back from school. She was like, "Wow, this is totally different than what the other kids did." That's so awesome, right? And your story is like that was a great moment. Like right now, I'm not telling you guys stories. I love that you're able to like chime in with your own anecdotes to kind of liven up the the facts that I'm sharing here. But yeah, I think that's that's, that's a really funny example. So, do you do the same kinds of things with landing pages on your? So you know, you get people on the list they think you're awesome or they like the stories or, you know, they identify with you, I guess is really what I'm trying to say. So then they go to the the website, the landing page. How do you, how do you put things together there to convince them that the value is there for them to sign up? Do you do the same kinds of things or do you do things a little bit differently? Well, I mean, it, it depends. There's different ways that you can go about it, right? All sorts of different ways, but I mean, there should be that match, of course, between the email and the landing page. So if I read an email with one kind of voice, I'd probably, and I clicked through, I mean, not only would I, that should say to us, if someone clicked through, they probably liked what they were seeing. And if they're just curious, forget about those people aren't worth worrying about. But the people that clicked through who liked it, and so click to land on your landing page, then they probably want to see things that are similar to what they saw before otherwise they wouldn't have clicked they would have just shut it down if they didn't like it so they like so repeat what they like don't try to guess or make things up from scratch just keep doing what you were doing that they liked in the first place so yeah uh, take that same tone but now it's a matter of not just before your goal was to get people to click right to click to go to the landing page Mm -hmm. now what's your goal for the landing page and if it's to sell then you have a lot of different things that that you know, in your toolbox that are at your disposal. And it's just a matter of like what you're trying to sell. So this is branching into a part of the conversation that is like really, really um, broad talking about the various ways to sell on like mostly a long form sales page or some sort of sales page. Is that right? You just want to mm-hmm. talk about selling on a landing page. Yeah. I think the long form sell- uh, landing page is kind of where I'm looking one thing that I, I think I mentioned in a previous episode, but how really like email you use to build a relationship. And so like you're saying, you know, someone clicks and that kind of expresses an interest in the link. What I've found to be work really well is someone clicks and they don't go like to the sales page. They go to like a second sub email list where it's another set of stories, you know, information, all that stuff that's kind of centered around that. And I've used the example like, if someone clicked the link to look at a landing page blog post, well, I'll send them five emails about how to optimize their landing page. And so by the time they get to the fifth one, they kind of learned a little bit. They know, like, I know landing page stuff. And if they're going to buy a landing page product, like, they're primed to actually do it. And they're also more qualified to actually want to buy it and ready to buy it. And yeah. for I, it's not a landing page product, but one, one ebook I'm selling as a result of that, I think I have like a 4% conversion rate versus I think it's like a 2% when I wasn't doing that. So, I mean, it's a lot, it's less sales overall, but the people who are buying it really want to buy it and they are actually going to use it. It's not going to be a book that just sits on their Kindle for the next 20 years. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a book that sits on the Kindle for a while. I have to say, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, so you're talking about like email list segmentation just based on user activity or subscriber activity. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Do you make groups or do you just segment? So it's kind of, I'm tagging people. And so based on if there's a tag and if different links that they'll click, they'll be like auto subscribed to a sub list and it has its own follow up sequence and all that. And then every now and then I'll do like a 
a one-off broadcast and just say, okay, all the people who have tagged a link about landing pages and maybe something about PPC or something, I'm going to send them this email. And it's not always sales emails either. It could just be something custom that, hey, here's an advanced thing. It's not really good for beginners, so I'm only sending it to a limited subset. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great. It's a great example of how much you can do with email marketing. Like, I know most businesses that I consult with think that their business is on the web, but in fact, it's like an email play. And in most cases, that's actually, that's, that's the case. It's about what you can do with email. Because just depending on people driving traffic to your site and hoping that they'll convert, I think we all know that's, that's kind of nuts, right? Versus like when you can communicate with people based on what you know about their activities and feed them custom content or what feels like custom content that then reflects their interest and thus is more likely to get them to convert because it's so closely tied to what they've told you with their clicks they're interested in. But I think that, yeah, it's a great, it's, 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 it's a great example um, with how the power of email marketing. My business is based entirely on email marketing. We do very, very little like, or just sales that happen just online, like where, you know, you just get an email that says, oh, a conversion was made. It's far more about email marketing. And that's where all of, I'd say 90% of our revenue comes from our email marketing efforts. So Chuck, when I keep telling you to do email, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, right. And Thanks, you Eric. can say it. It's another one of those examples, right? Like now you know it, but are you going to go do it, right? What, mm-hmm. like go do it now. And it's not going to be, but also with email marketing, it can be so automated with these different drip campaigns you can set up. Um, and then you do some blast sales emails and blast, you know, blog posts and things like that. But, but it's once you put that effort in up front, you really are creating that, that passive income in a lot of ways that people talk yeah, about. Yeah. I think the other part of my problem is that. Generally, I have sites that are focused on a very broad topic. So, you know, I have a Ruby podcast and a JavaScript podcast and a freelancing podcast and uh, an iPhone uh, programming podcast, but those are still very broad topics. And so when I think about building a list like this, you know, now that I'm talking to you guys about it and kind of really getting an idea of what I want to do, I I want something that's a little bit more focused, a little bit more, you know, going to give people what they really want. Mm-hmm. And so should I be creating like different websites for these different topics or is it okay to have them under one brand and one domain or does it matter? Well, it depends what you're trying to sell or what your what your ultimate goal is. I say sell, but it could be any number of things that like what's the transaction that you want to happen in the end? Like uh, are you building a list because you want to use email to sell? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Okay, good. So let's that's clear. That's I'm good. like, is this a trick question? No. <laughs> no, no. I'm a- well, well, I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be for selling. It could just be for branding yourself or getting the word out about yourself and hope that eventually people will say, oh, wait, I need X, so I'll turn to Chuck. I mean, is, is there a difference between the two? Maybe I'm, Yeah, maybe I mean, I'm it's okay. that hope, that hope that holds you back, I think. Hope is nice. It's great. It's, you know, the theme of Shawshank Redemption, which is a fantastic movie. But outside <laughs> of that, it's like, it's just hope, right? And then there's the action. So, um, and we're talking, I think for effective marketing and increasing your conversion rate, it's really about those actions and to figure out what you want people to do is a big part of the battle and actually getting them to do it. So if you say, okay, I know that it'd be really nice if my goal was to build my brand, la la la, but my brand doesn't pay me money yet. And I know that getting people to buy this course will pay me money so that maybe later I can go invest more in those branding and relationship building exercises along the way. I still want to build relationships, but my ultimate goal is to make some money so that I can actually keep running my startup or freelancing. So I don't have to go in house. Mm-hmm. Then if you know that that's your goal, I think that's far better. You can actually create materials that are focused on that versus on, well, let's build up my brand so that down the road people might come to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. kind of. Is it? Even, <laughs> I, no, no, no. I, I, I always thought that email marketing was more of a long. I, I thought it was. Yes, it could be used for selling, obviously, mm-hmm. but that the key thing about an email list was that you try to build it so that you'll have this branding, so that you'll have this loyal following, so that when you sell to them down the road, they'll be like, "Oh, of course, I'm going to buy from them because I've been reading their stuff for a while." And that's true for the long haul kind of people, but. Most email, if you look at it, I mean, by the time a person's been on your list for six months, things are getting pretty stale for them, right? So you really want to 
keep the sales bef- happening before six months. And in best case scenarios, those should happen in the first two weeks. So someone subscribes and they've handed you their credit card within that first 14 day period, even sooner, right? I like to at least before that eight day period. And it doesn't have to be for a big thing, but it should be for something to get them buying from you, something quality, right? If you wait too long, I mean, and data shows it's all over the place, but the best, the, there's peak open rates when people first subscribe to you and then they kind of trail off as they find, okay, they're learning enough or they're overwhelmed by that. And the, you know, the honeymoon phase is kind of over for them. Then, you know, at the six month period, unless they're a five star or like a highly rated, um, highly engaged reader, they're probably basically gone, right? That's, that's harsh, but let's just say that because it keeps things a bit more real. So after that period, okay, so you really ha- do have this initial brief period in which to start getting people on board with the idea of buying from you. So that, so I say focus your efforts early on the long tail stuff, the people that, that subscribe or that buy later. Great. Those will happen no matter what, whatever your goal is to get people to buy sooner rather than later without being that scuzzy scammy person necessarily. I mean, I know that we all have these brands we're trying to build and protect. And with social media, you don't want people talking about you like, why do you send me all these crappy emails or something? It's not going to feel good. People are going to read those tweets. So that's a bad thing. But we're not talking about just hard selling in every email, but saying, okay, I want people to, I want 50% of my new subscribers to purchase from me by day eight. So I'm going to put together a drip campaign that's going to have all these great segments like Eric was talking about where, you know, and of course it's hard with drip campaigns to do segmenting, but you can figure stuff out, right? Do some hacks, whatever. Or you Um, can just do multiple drip campaigns with slightly varying subjects. Yes, right? If you put them into different lists, but then based on like activities, right? If you can... Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean you can you can do a lot with it. I mean it gets really technical. I have yeah, some and stuff it depends, like that. It depends on the tool that you're using, right? So MailChimp you can't do much with your autoresponders to segment them based on activity that happens during the autoresponder series. You can move them over to a new list. Yeah, and like get response same as right? You can move over to a new list, but then they can't continue the list that they were on before without manually being put back in there. Eric, what tool can I ask what tool you use? Um, so I use Aweber and then I use okay. kind of another one called Aweber Pro Tools, which adds oh. kind of the, ta- it lets you, when someone clicks a link, you can do actions like move them to another list. So they, they unsubscribe from list one and go to list two, or they okay. get copied or they get tagged and the tagging is your text. And that's where you can do the segmenting and stuff. Um, yeah. it's, it's a lot like Infusionsoft, except for without the four or five figure price tag. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Infusionsoft, hey, expensive. Um, yeah, that's cool, right? So if you can figure those things out, do your segmenting as best you can in the tool that you've selected, Aweber, great, MailChimp, decent, and get responses decent too um, for that kind of stuff. But whatever, you can get more advanced the more you learn from your list, what they're doing in the, you know, the more your list grows. Um, but yeah, it's getting smart about those those drips early on, the emails that you're going to drip out and making those dedicated to your ultimate goal of, let's again say, a sale by day eight, rather than hoping for a sale by day eight, making it a goal. Now, if you're emailing weekly, that's two emails. Are you saying that you should be emailing them more frequently than that to begin with? Yeah. Sorry, I'm talking about a drip campaign. So someone signs up for your list. Uh You've said, okay, sign up and we're going to give you this five-part course or whatever. And will that that five-part course will likely be dripped out to them in most cases, at least. I'm talking about the scenario in which you would drip out. Okay, here's day one of your micro course, blah, 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 blah. Next time is day two, day three, day four, day five. And then you would still keep following up. Maybe, you know, there's different ways that you can schedule, obviously, your drip campaign. So um, lots of different approaches you could take there. But if you were to do that, then your goal would be, okay, well, first, set your goal. We're saying day eight. It can be whatever kind of early day you want it to be. Um, but it follows that drip campaign. So you're building a drip campaign with the goal of getting a payment by day eight. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Well, there's a lot like- more sense than the approach that I somehow had in my head too. So there's actually one thing I it's I just put it in production I guess a couple of days ago, and so probably by the time this airs, it's going to be active. But so I have products for freelancers, but I'm also doing freelancing for like software companies. So mm-hmm. what I actually did is on my 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 actual consulting freelance side is I made a drip campaign. I think it's five. Oh no, it's six because there's a conclusion. 
it's a six daily email sequence that basically serves as like the introduction. So like it talks about me, what services I provide, what companies I'm good at working with, you know, that sort of thing. And it's, I'm using it to kind of be the warm up. So instead of mm. doing email back and forth or maybe doing like four or five phone calls with a new client, mm. I'm trying to get people on this. So they see a consistent, this is who I am. This is what I do. And the goal, the conversion for each of those is to get someone, you know, potentially a client to contact me. And if they contact me, then I take the relationship, you know, one-on-one in email and phone and close it into a higher dollar sale. Right. I think that's smart. That sounds like a good uh, drip campaign. Interesting for a service business too, right? Versus like other businesses where, you know, so far we've been talking about courses or info products or, um, or software. But, uh, yeah, doing it to talk about yourself as a service provider is something I haven't done, but I think it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And the nice thing is like, I, I have all the tools to do like the automation on the other side. But with this, I mean, if I get a dozen people subscribing a week, like leads, like that's pretty significant. That's probably to make me have to turn away work. So yeah. if I have to go in and do the segmenting by hand, by like going into AWeber or MailChimp and updating the records by typing in the forms, like that's yeah. not that much work and the value of it is huge. So yeah. like anyone can really get started with the basic tools of something like that. Yeah, definitely. It's worth it, right? For, you know, if you have to do that little bit of manual work, um, it depends on what your value is going to be from that customer. How much are you going to make from them? It's probably worth it in the case where you're trying to um, sell a service. Yeah. And then the second kind of longer term benefit is, you know, someone, like I say, I warm someone up with this, uh, three months down the road, I can send out a, like a broadcast email to everyone say, Hey, I have some availability in November. And basically that's my pool of potential clients that I'm yes. contacting directly. Um, I mean, I've done this in the past, but it was very willy nilly. And this is like me actually making a process around it. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the results on it. That's cool. Yeah. Great. And especially good point about the process around it. Otherwise, you know, it, it just won't happen, I'm sure. Yeah. Interesting with that, uh, with the drip campaign also when you're, if you're doing like a five part series and people tend to do like day one of five as the subject line, like the beginning of a subject line is day one of five, day two of five, day three of five. And then you actually say, you don't just leave the subject line at that, of course, but tell them what they're about to get out of it, why they should open the email essentially. If you're doing something like that, I've seen this work and we're, we're trying it right now with, uh, with, um, something, I'm, uh, this cool client that I'm working with, um, where if you have a planned five part course, let's say you're going to drip out five days, call it a six part course. And then on the sixth day is the day where you actually do your pitch. And people would normally not want to do that during this five part course. And the, the the trick there is that it's kind of like, you know, when you're on like, I don't know if you guys go on, but if you're on like Huffington Post and you're looking through like the entertainment side of it and you're looking through like a screenshot or maybe not HuffPost, but like uh, people, you're going through these slides where they're like, you know, top celebrity breakups, 12 celebrity breakups from 2014. There'll only be 11 celebrity breakups in there. And on the 12th slide is the slide where they get you to, to move on to their next slide right to their next slideshow so you're kind of tricking people a little to get that that open because if they've opened day one day two day three day four day five and they know there's a day six on the way then they're probably more likely to open day six than if you just called it a five-part course and then sent a sales email separately that didn't have day blank of six in it does that make sense it's like Mm -hmm. a trick to get people to open that sales email that you want them to open Right. Yeah. And my main one, I, I do that, but I put them inside. It's not like, it's not limited. I think I have like 20 something right now, but you know, like email six and say email 12 are more of the, the sales kind of, I want you to take this action type email Mm -hmm. instead of just straight information like the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. And how about like those other ones you have like goals or micro actions for people to take along in like day three or whatever, random non-sales day there is. Yeah, I'm looking at it like I'm, my first one I have right here, like the call to action is basically reply. Let me know your name, company and some interesting fact about you. Just And the, the reason is I'm just curious about my clients or potential people. And it's kind of similar things like the whole point of these is to get people to contact me. So it's all reply to me or yeah. send me something, that sort of idea. Yeah. And then, of course, if you don't want people to contact you because let's say your list is getting big or you find that people are reaching out to you and it's not a service that you're trying to sell. It's actually a solution that you're trying to sell. 
then you can do other things, right? Other micro actions like tweet this if you like this course so far. And of course, give them compelling reasons to do that. So they actually do it and actually, you know, embed the tweet in their, in the email or give them, you know, the link that you put together and click to tweet or something like that. Or, or get them to, you know, go to X location, click here to go to, you know, a sticky link or a sticky subject in a forum to write down their number one goal or um, where they'd like to be 30 days from now. And then, of course, you can build a drip campaign around following up on that 30 day period, whatever it is. But, but it's really a matter of getting people not just to read your content and then close it but to do something at the end of it so they're engaging and not just consuming content. That's easy for anybody to do, but it doesn't do very much for you as a business outside of possibly, you know, giving people the idea that, oh, you're the guy to go to. Should I choose to do this in a more like a real way <laughs> in the future? You have to give them those small actions at every single point in every email that you drip out rather than just like closing it, you know, like have a nice day, Joanna. Right? You have to like give them something real. In my kind of my introduction, like, you know, the one, the email that like everyone opens, I kind of outline like what to expect. And I say like, you know, if I, if I ask you to go do something, you know, do it, like it's not necessarily buy it right away, but if it's like a survey or whatever, please do that. And what I'll do is if it's like people replying to me, like I actually track who replied to me. And so I can make a segment of people who have replied to me more than five times. And I might give them like a special offer or a coupon or, you know, something, something additional that not everyone sees because they're doing what I'm wanting them to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Give them incentives or reward them in ways rather than incenting them, but rewarding them for that good behavior. (laughs) A gold star. Exactly. I love gold stars. So when I don't sleep tonight and tomorrow night, and Thursday night, it's your fault. Ah, uh, here's hoping, right? Because then once you've actually gone through these days without sleep, then you'll have all those days with sleep because it's email and you're dripping and all you have to do is set it up and then it runs itself. It's genius. Yep. It's good stuff. Well, so, I mean, here's the thing. Like, so I was to Joanna at MacroConf and she inspired me to do some of this. And so I don't know, I guess five, maybe four months, maybe five months I've been writing emails. And right now I have 27 follow-ups and they're weekly follow-ups. So, you know, in about a year or half a year, I have half a year of content. And so if someone signs up right now, they start getting number one, two, three, and that's work that I don't have to do. That's follow-ups I don't have to do. And I wrote it once, edited it, put it up there. And then just all I have to do is tweak it a little bit here and there. Yeah, exactly. Just revisit it every so often. Yeah. So can we get back to uh, copywriting a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) copywriting it's just kind of the strategy behind it. i mean because you can yeah. have all the great messages you want but if you're not delivering them to people in the right way i mean mm-hmm. who cares right yeah. but yes let's return to it i guess what i'm aiming at then is instead of talking about the the strategies and the mechanisms for getting them in there how do you create great content God, your questions are so huge i know <laughs> i'm doing it how on purpose. do you create great content so we talked about, you know, you want to put stories in there and, and things like that. Are, are there any other tricks? Are there any other tips that you can give us that will make it so that they're interesting for people to read? Yeah. I mean, there are so many, right? I guess the question for me, I like to distinguish between content and copy. So when you're talking content, like we don't do, we don't teach content marketing at Copy Hackers. We teach like conversion copywriting. So the distinction there being that, you know, content is a lot about blog posts videos, things that bring people to your site, like to consume that content. Uh, whereas we talk about, okay, so now that you want to make some money because you're starting to get some traffic, here's how you write things that actually get people to buy your stuff or to opt into your list and things like that. So which, which do you mean content or like copy? Probably copy. Yeah. I, copy. <laughs> I just want to be sure, right? Like just like, yeah. <laughs> Right. So then creating great copy is, oh gosh, it's so big, but it really, I mean, comes down to, from what I've seen, at least what works, there's always going to be a lot of tips and so-called best practices, which I would never say, possibly better practices, but I don't personally believe in best practices, but it comes down to, in most cases, not writing from your head. And also that doesn't mean write from your heart, (laughs) but heart should be in there far more than your head should be in there. But really writing from messages that you swipe from the people that you're trying to convert. 
So whereas we tend to say, okay, I'm going to write a homepage today. And then you sit down and you look at, you know, if you have a theme, you see what your theme will let you do. If you don't, then I don't know what you do because I don't know how to write a page anymore without having that. But you're about to sit, you're sitting down and you're going to write this homepage. So, okay, I guess I'll write this as a headline. And here's a subhead that goes well with the headline. And I guess I'll put a bunch of lorem ipsum in here because later I'll go back and fill in that quote unquote body copy. And then we'll probably put a button here. And that's like kind of the bullshit way to go about doing it. Like you're not going to get very good results in most cases from like just sitting there and writing that way. What we recommend, what I've you know seen in tests and so on and so forth is the best way to go about finding your messages is to go out and see, listen to your customers. This won't be a surprise to anybody who's, you know, interested in lean startups or, you know, pays attention to Amy Hoy and things like that. But it is the way to write is not to write at all, but to go and interview customers, record those conversations. If you have them on Skype, record it. There's lots of easy recording tools like Amolto, I think is how you pronounce it. That's one that I use. And then get that transcribed. The transcription services are going to be big when you're trying to write your, your copy. Um, I use rev.com. That's a really good transcription service um, that I've found at least. And so go interview customers on Skype, let's say, or interview prospects on Skype. Have like five solid interviews where you spend an hour talking to these people about what they're going through in their work life. Or, you know, if you're not doing B2B, what they're going through, let's say, if you're trying to talk to moms and they're trying to teach their kids how to behave better. Then you want to talk to the mom for like an hour on the phone. I know she doesn't have a lot of time, so make it, you know, you don't want to drag it on, but talk to them, listen to them, do far more listening, of course, than you do talking. Record that, have it transcribed, or transcribe it yourself if you want to, and then go through and read that and highlight key things that they said, really interesting language they used, and that exercise alone can produce a bunch of, of lines that you could use as um, headlines, subhead, body copy, everything else that you need, testimonials. Some of those can turn into testimonials if you ask the person, of course, for permission, stuff like that. And you can very quickly, after interviewing five people, write a homepage that's far more likely to convert and to intrigue people than if you just sat there and tried to think up what's so great about your solution and why people need it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that really makes a lot of sense. Um, it's very similar to the advice that David Seitman Garland gives in his Create Awesome Online Courses is to get that information and then kind of go from there. Yeah, I think most people who are doing this or have been doing this at all for any amount of time know that it's not about what's in your head. It doesn't start with you. If it does, that's probably a problem with building a product. It shouldn't start with you sitting there saying, what's my problem, right? Like it should start by doing some research, uh, research and discovery for copywriting is, you know, that I charge for my consultants. They pay the most for that because it takes the most time. And then from the time that you're done that research, let's say it's, you know, green or good for six to 12 months. Then you can build everything, everything on your site, all of your emails, everything, all of your tweets, your content strategy, everything comes out of what you did initially. And yeah, people like David Simon Garland, um, again, Amy Hoy, um, all sorts of people are saying the same thing because it's the right way to do it. Try doing it the other way, then try doing it this way and see which one's easier and produces better results. Right. And one thing, because I've done Amy's class, I don't know how many times now, but one thing she has you do instead of interviewing people, um, because when you interview someone that they, they kind of, they will, they might talk about what their, what they're trying to yeah. make their perception of themselves to you. Yeah. Um, she has you digging through forums or I think, uh, Patrick McKenzie mentioned going on Amazon for like competing books and reading customer reviews and finding <laughs> the actual language. So like with freelancers, you don't tell freelancers how to set your prices. You say how to set your rates. And that's a completely different thing. But if you market about setting your prices, it's, it's a disconnect. Someone's going to not care about it. Yeah. But when you start saying rates, it's like, oh, I want to open that. I want to open that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and Patrick got that from me and I got that from Jay Abraham. So people are all sharing the same information. And Patrick will say the same thing, right? I'm not, I'm not just like stealing from Patrick. He would say, Oh no, I learned that from Joanna. That's what we talk about, right? We do. Uh, there's so many places. Anything that is, um, user generated content is where you go to mine for things. So absolutely forums is a great place to go. Tweets that people send you, they can be a little tough because there are 140 characters and sometimes you have to get not that natural with the language there. 
Amazon reviews are a complete gold mine, right? I have done so many posts on the power of Amazon reviews. It's insanity. There some of the, I know I talked about this on Mixergy. I did this one where I was working with a client who um, was a, a rehab center or a treatment center in Florida and the competition is insane. Like among rehab centers, they're paying like a hundred dollars a click or something for PPC. Like it gets up to like $600, I think, because there's so much riding on getting someone to come to your particular rehab center. So, cause it's like $25,000 usually a month for a bed and the bigger your brand, the more you'll charge, right? So it could be $50,000 a month for a bed in this treatment center. Obviously, you'd want to spend as much as you can to get those leads. So I was working with this small rehab center in Florida. They're doing really well there, but they had empty beds, which of course, every month that you have an empty bed, one empty bed is $25,000 lost. So we were really trying to get more leads that they would then convert on the phone. I came up with a bunch of different headlines based on what I'd been reading. So one of them was like this uh, social proof point. One of them was a data point. This is for the homepage headline. And the other one was this line I stole from, um, stole, swiped is what we say, from an Amazon book. I'd done, I'd read through the reviews for seven or eight different books about, in this case, it was about um, alcoholism, overcoming addiction, how to live with an addict. Um, and you go through and people can get really open about what they were expecting, what pains they're going through in their lives. And one of the lines that I read that I documented was, if you think you need rehab, you do. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. It was a completely different tone from anything they'd been using on their site and completely different from what other treatment centers were using. They use a lot of flowery language and like they don't want to come off as too harsh or something. And this brought in a well over 400% increase in leads. This, this single line, if you think you need rehab, you do. I didn't come up with it. I didn't write that. I probably wouldn't have come up with it and nobody would have. The CEO wouldn't have. Nobody else would have. It had to come from the natural language. And we found that in that one book review on Amazon. So yeah, goldmine. Right. And this kind of goes back, like that's why on my main one, I, I asked for a lot of people to just reply to me or fill out a survey because I'm saving all that and collecting like what words are they using, what phrases. And some of it's like the questions are, you know, hey, if you have problems with this or you don't understand this, email me, explain it to me, and I'll try to give you custom, you know, like one-on-one advice. And yeah. The problems that they're emailing me are the exact problems that, you know, another hundred thousand people in the market have, but they didn't tell me. Yeah. And you just feed it back to them, right? You don't have to change it. You just feed it back on the site. So pull it in from your customers and push it back onto your site. I know for, we just redid Neil Patel blogged about this on Quick Sprout. Um, I blogged about it on copyhackers.com, but we did a test of the crazy egg homepage, which you guys might be familiar with where it was a redo. And we did four different variations against the control, which was a very powerful control. That's been like written about a thousand times. The guys at Converge Rate experts did this, did the control. And so I was testing against this really powerful control, which is really quite scary. But we took the headline and this was for the winning treatment, but it was for other treatments too, which also performed well, but didn't reach confidence like the final winning one did. But we took that, that was from a survey where, you know, you ask questions like what was going on in your life that caused you to come looking for this solution, which can be a really good question to ask if you want to pull answers that are like really meaty and useful for writing copy. So, but we pulled this line that was, you know, tell it was basically an answer to a question about, you know, what are you getting out of Crazy Egg or what do you like most about Crazy Egg? And one somebody and a couple people said something similar to this. So we thought, okay, well, maybe there's something to that. And they said, a Crazy Egg picture tells a story. So we made that the headline and it was on the winning page. I'm not saying it was the reason, but actually all of the copy on the page was based on what I got out of surveys and interviews. Again, it's not about you writing. It's about taking things from your prospects. And of course that beats the very, 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 very hard control. I keep saying that to make the, you know, the wind sound that much better, obviously, but it beat it. It got a 13% lift, which isn't monumental, but it's, it's great when you're trying to beat a strong control in the first place. And that again came from that one came from surveys. And of course the rest of the copy came from surveys and interviews and, um, and things like that. Awesome. I'm excited to go do all this stuff now. Cool. Yeah. There's a lot of research involved up front, right? But once it's done, it pays off again and again and again. 
Awesome. Well, I think I have enough to actually go and work for months and then come back and ask more questions. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> so, uh, okay, let's get into the picks. <laughs> Eric, do you want to start us with picks? Yeah, so this is a pick I read a little bit ago. Uh, it's the surprising reason we have 40-hour work weeks and why we should rethink it. It's an interesting post that kind of goes back to, you know, when the industrial age got started and how that's affecting us now. And I think it's kind of, it's nice to read, especially if you're freelancing, you know, don't feel like you have to do 40 hours of work a week. You know, you might need to do 60, maybe 20 is okay. Um, but it kind of makes you rethink the idea that you have to put in 40 hours each week. Um, and I guess my second pick is Joanna's Copy Hacker books. I own them all. I've read the one through four series, the long form series. I'm reading like the conversion rock star right now. Um, and probably as far as like the more modern copywriters, she's one of the three that I actually will do the advice she says instead of ones where I just read it and forget about it. So if you're kind of new to copywriting or you want to get better, I, I recommend her stuff. It's it's very inexpensive for the information you get out of it. Thanks, Eric. That's nice. Awesome. Uh, Reuven, what are your picks? Uh, so I got three picks this week. First of all, I realized that I, probably a lot of our listeners also use Macs. So I've been using for a while this program called Clean My Mac to, not surprisingly, Clean My Mac from all sorts of different uh, files that have accumulated. And yeah, it's useful for your log files and so forth, but it's also really good about telling me you know, there's this really large MP4 that you haven't touched in three years. You really need it still? And then I'm usually thinking, actually, I, I probably don't really need it. So it's been very useful in keeping my disk space down. Uh, and my second two picks are both, uh, and I've mentioned it before in the past, from uh, Planet Money, the NPR uh, podcast about economics. First of all, the most recent one as of our recording, so it's probably about a week or two old as of uh, when everyone will listen to this, or early uh, listeners will listen to this, it's all about uh, Spirit Airlines, which they call the fastest-growing, least popular airline in America. And mm-hmm. we're always talking about service. We're always talking about making people feel good. And the podcast goes through how time and again people scream and yell about how terrible Spirit Airlines is and then go back for more. And how the company manages to balance customers who hate them with those same customers coming back. And the second thing is uh, Planet Money had something a few weeks ago for Valentine's Day where they had Tim Hartford, who's just a, a great writer and uh, economic reporter in general. So he used to do this column in the Financial Times in England called Dear Economist, which was a uh, love advice column. And people would write into him and explain their relationship problems, and he would use principles of economics to <laughs> explain what they should be doing. And so they had a few people write. I know it sounds crazy. It was incredibly funny and insightful. And so they had a few of their listeners to their podcast call in and call and speak to him. And definitely worth worth listening to both for the economic theory and for the relationship advice. I think <laughs> I heard that one. All right, well, um, I, I'll throw out a couple of picks here. I'm almost done with uh, Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. It's a great book, really just gives you a good handle on some of the incentives out there in, in the economy and what makes the economy tick and some of the things that politicians do that hurt the economy while they say they're helping the economy and why certain um, programs within uh, government and programs within different businesses fail to make economic sense. And I, I just really enjoyed it. It really clearly explains things. So I'm going to put that pick out there. I've been listening to it on Audible, so I'll put a link in for the Audible version as well. And I don't think I have any others that I really want to pick this week. So, uh, Joanna, do you have some picks for us? I do. Yep. So because we're talking copy and because maybe we didn't get to talk about it enough when we were talking emails, although I think we did, but Breakthrough Advertising by Gene Schwartz is the possibly greatest book on copywriting ever. And it still has a lot of things that apply today. Hard to find. If you can find it, good for you. It's it's hard, but it's it's worth it. So go out and seek that out. Other ones, I think for freelancers in particular, I like to think about for my consulting business, some of the solutions that we depend on. Of course, I'm sure a lot of people already know about these, but I have to like put it out there because I live on them. Um, it's of course bid sketch for putting those contracts or the, um, you know proposals together. Ruben Gamas, its creator, I'm sure you guys all know, is super awesome, super nice guy. Um, outside of that, Right Signature is I don't know. Do you guys know Right Signature? 
Um, I, think, it, I think I've heard of it. What is? What do they do? The, it's just, it's a really simple way to get people to sign your stuff. So you just upload your PDF or Word doc or whatever and put in where you need people to sign or initial or date things. It sounds like, oh, that's easy. A lot of things do it. But nobody does it quite as easily and nicely, I've found, as right signature. It's like a little secret that I love to talk about to like people who are in, you know, startup world, etc. Um, it's really, really great tool for getting things signed without having to worry about paper. We're totally paperless at Copy Hackers, so um, it's a great way to do that. And then finally, of course, I think that for freelancers, I find a lot of value in this is the honesty and all the great tips that come through uh, Brennan Dunn's posts for freelancers and his newsletter. Awesome. Those are, yeah, those are my picks. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time out to come talk to yeah. us. Thanks for having me. All right, well, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week. 